It's good to be together this morning, church. I love hearing you sing. Yes, please. Yes, yeah, some of us have been out for sickness. Just look around. Uh, look around and just see. Look at your neighbor. Say hi to them. Yeah. It's good when the body comes together. And uh, this is, it's, it's encouraging to hear you sing, hear you worship. And uh, so um, thanks so much for being here. For those that are visiting, we are glad you're here this morning. We hope that uh, we, can, we can assist you in any way we can. We hope that we can do that. And so if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to ask us. So we finished last week the book of Mark, and we came to the end of our, our time together in this book where Jesus, we learned through the weeks, Jesus connecting with people, discipling his disciples, for them to understand what his mission was. And we talked of the crucifixion. We talked about his death last week, and his mission was complete. He died, was buried three days later, rose from the, the grave. And guess what? Acts chapter 1, what gives us a mission. And so he handed that mission off to his followers, that we are to go into the world and preach the gospel, to go share this message, Acts 1-8, to be his witnesses. And so I hope that we grab that message um, last week. And so this week we start a new sermon series in the book of Micah. In the book of Micah. I know it's going to be tough to find. It's between Jonah and Nahum. So we're going to do something a little fun this morning, if, like we're in children's church. So if you ha who has their Bible? Rip put their Bible up. Who has their Bible? If you have a digital Bible, you can't participate, okay? So if you have a real Bible, put your Bible up. Okay, you remember the old sword drills? Okay, so you can't do it like this. I want you to put your Bible like this. We have a sword drill, all right? You guys ready? This is, this is what the kids are doing back there. So this would get, get a taste of what your children are doing. Okay, hey, Jimmy, no cheating. You're like this. Come on, you already have your hand in Micah. That's not fair. All right, here we go. So here we go. You ready? I'm going to say Micah 1-1. When I say go, the first one that finds it stands up and reads verse 1. Ready? Micah 1-1, go. All right, go. Find Micah. Find Micah. Oh, my word, Caroline. You were... <laughs> you were okay, Caroline, why don't you... <laughs> Why don't you read Micah 1 1 for us? Thank you, maybe see. Thank you so much. Mark got it the first time. And so, Caroline, to get your reward, go get a beef jerky stick from Dr. John in the back, okay? <laughs> that is your reward. Well, the book of Micah, actually Micah in the Hebrew is, is pronounced Mika, and it means who is like God. The theme of Micah is God is moving. As we get to the end of Micah, as we'll see today, God is moving in judgment. God is moving in judgment. Micah is from Morsheth, as was read. Morsheth was 25 miles west of Jerusalem. It was actually in Philistine country. So we could say that Micah was a country boy. How many country boys and girls do we have here this morning? Raise your hand. All right, so you can relate to Micah. Micah was from the country. All right. The, I'm going to give you some history. The first couple of minutes of some history because I, we need to understand the book we're reading, the book we're studying, to put things in perspective of what was going on. Uh, there's a passage in Micah chapter 5 that we are probably familiar with. Turn to Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. And actually, this is the prophecy of the coming Savior, of Jesus. Micah 5, 2 says this, But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, but you have come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from an old of, from ancient days. That word ancient days, olam, means time can't be counted, eternity past. 
No way to calculate time is referring to Jesus Christ. In fact, it's, it's believed that the wise men were looking at this prophecy. This is one of the, the texts that they would read, looking for the Jesus in Bethlehem. If we, read, if we remember our study in Daniel, Daniel was, he was the, the, the director of the education department in the area of wisdom and interpretation of dreams in Babylon University. Remember we studied that? And it's very, very possible, we believe, that the Daniels, he was training these wise men to go to Scripture to point them to Jesus Christ. What we see here doesn't just talk about the first coming of Jesus. Look at verses 4 and 5. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell securely for now. He shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When will there be peace on the earth? When Jesus comes back to set up his earthly kingdom as we know it. So Micah prophesied both comings of Jesus. So this is the text that we probably refer to in the area of uh, the book of Micah. Micah was a contemporary with Hosea, Amos, and Isaiah. He lived with them, and he, he prophesied with them. They lived in the same time. You understand this time in Israel's history, the kingdom was divided. Two of Solomon's sons, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, divided. the kingdom was divided. Jeroboam was the, was the wicked king, ten tribes to the north, Jerusalem was the capital. Rehoboam was to the south, two tribes of Judah and Benjamin were in the south, capital was Samaria. Micah would have prophesied under three kings, Jotham, who was a good king, Ahaz, bad king, Hezekiah, Good king, had some problems there in his kingship, but overall pretty good king. Micah would have prophesied from 700 B.C. to 750 B.C. But I want you to notice here, what happened in 722 B.C. in history, in world history? What happened to the nation of Israel? The Assyrian captivity. There's two captivities that happened to the nation of Israel. The Assyrian captivity in 722 and the Babylonian captivity in 586 B.C. So understand that we see Micah here in the middle where Assyria will take over the nation. Micah here is speaking to the common folks in chapters 1 and 2. Folks like you and me. He's just talking to the people in this prophecy. So there, if for those that maybe are new to studying the Bible, prophets, they were the mouthpiece of God. And there's three things, one of three things they did. Sometimes they would do one or all three. Here's what they would do. They would prophesy God's judgment or blessing on a lamb. They would, they would um, predict God's judgment or prophecy to a lamb. And then they would also persuade. They would try to persuade a nation. I think a great example of persuasion is the book of Jonah. He went to Nineveh, right? And Nineveh changed their mind. They followed God. Of course, Jonah was not happy with that, but Jonah was persuading them to turn from the ways, and they did. I want us to look at prophets in this, I think, a very simple illustration this morning. How many of you this morning woke up to an alarm clock? Wow, you just woke up with this. Who woke up with an alarm? Raise your hands. Okay, a couple of us. Alarm clock is what? To wake us up. How many of us, how many of us sleep through alarms? <laughs> True. My, my wife sleeps through alarms. I'm going to tell on her this morning. So I'll get up, and I'll go downstairs, and she'll say, hey, just set it for 20 minutes. And so I'll, I'll set it, and I'll go downstairs, and it goes off. One minute goes by. Two minutes. Like, what is she doing up there? Like, so I go up there, and she is out. Judy! What, what, what? The alarm's going off right here. I mean, I had to come upstairs again. It's an alarm. It's to wake us up. My mother, growing up with my brother and I, she would just come in our room, pull the blanks off, up and at them, boys, up and at them. 
And I was like, okay, up in Adam, what does that mean? She's like, I, I don't know. My, my father used to tell me that. So we would ask my grandfather when he was alive, hey, Pap, uh, Mom says you used to say this when you woke her up. Yeah, that was a, that was a symbol for my, my, my infantrymen in the Marine Corps to go up and at the enemy. I'm like, so, Mom, what are you telling us to do when you, we wake up in the morning? Who are we going after in the morning? But there was always those alarms or people who have woken us up to get up in the morning. See, prophets were an alarm for the nation of Israel. See, God used them as his mouthpiece, and they were the alarm here for the nation. We see here a divided kingdom. Micah was specifically speaking to Jerusalem and Samaria, as we see there in the text, because they were the influences of the land. What came from Jerusalem, what came from Samaria, infiltrated the regions. And I hate to say they were rotten to the core at this time in Israel's history. Have you ever eaten a worm knowingly? Have you ever bitten into an apple and you didn't see the worm and you see a hole and you're like, oh, that's interesting because you probably have swallowed it, right? Well, it's, it's very interesting as you understand how that worm gets in there. A fly has a very small uh, hollow tube that comes out of its body and you can't see it in the apple and it injects the, the eggs into the, the core of the apple and the larva grows and it becomes these, what they call, rail worms. And they come from the inside out. Next time you see it, when you bite into an apple and you see there's worms, how did it get there? This is how it got there. Now, understand that the nation of Israel, this is how they become rotten to the core. See, they've allowed wickedness and idolatry to infiltrate their core. And now it's just spreading through the land. We're going to see here in the outline of Micah, the first two chapters this morning. Here's the outline. The problem of Israel. The next two weeks, then we'll talk about the practical living of Israel, what, how they needed to live and how they were living wrong. And then lastly, even despite all the judgment that we read in prophecy, we see in chapter 7 the promise of God because he loved the nation of Israel. What we'll, hear, what we'll see here is one word in three, three parts of Micah, the word hear. It's a proclamation. Listen up. Pay attention. Kind of like that. Hear ye, hear ye, Israel. Listen up. I have something to say. We see the word hear is found 26 times in minor prophets. 16 of those times are this word right here. Listen up. Pay attention, Israel. And we see it in Micah 1, Micah 3, and Micah 6. Hear, O Israel. Hey, pay attention, Israel. So this morning, I would like us to use that illustration of, a, of an alarm clock. And I would like us to look at four alarms. Four alarms that I believe that God is trying to show the nation of Israel, but not just the nation of Israel. I believe there's four alarms that we can look for in our lives today that we need to be woken up to. Okay, so let's begin reading Micah 1, look at verse 1 through 7. I'm going to read through that text. The word of the Lord came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. And he, he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Here's that word. Hear, you peoples, all of you. Pay attention, he says, O earth, all that is in it. And let the word of God be witness against you, the Lord, from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. 
What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? I mean, think of high places. We can see the, that word high places when we're referring to Solomon's wives and they heard their, God says, Solomon, you did not take the, the, the gods off the high places of worship. Well, this text tells us that the places of worship are, are staged in Jerusalem and Samaria, the core of the nation. Verse 6, therefore I will make Samaria a heap in the open country. Note here, fun fact for us, Samaria is, does not exist today. It is a bunch of rocks. Just thought you'd like to know that. It's only a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces, all her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols will lay waste, for from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. When we read this kind of scriptures, this kind of judgment, there's four characteristics I see of God. He's just, he's righteous, he's holy, he's perfect, right? When people sin, you're going against his righteousness, you're going against his holiness, his perfection, I don't know about you, when I grew up, I grew up in the church, sat in Sunday school, all the, all the fun classes, VBS, and when you read stories in the Old Testament, wasn't God so mean? Judging and killing people? And that's why society thinks, yeah, I like the God of the New Testament. He was good, he was nice, he's graceful. But Scripture tells us that our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's all those attributes all the time. He doesn't change from them. I want us to pay attention here that even in judgment, even in the judgment that God is bringing upon the nation of Israel, we see a merciful, gracious, long-suffering God. And you say, what? You remember the dates that I gave you that Micah was prophesying for 700 to 750 B.C.? When was the Assyrian captivity? It was 722. So just based on those dates, 20 years, and that's just, that's just in Micah's time, 20 years, God was patient with the nation. Long-suffering, we can see this sprinkled all through the Old Testament of God being merciful and gracious and long-suffering. Our God always has been that and always will be, and aren't we grateful for that? For us, that when we believe that God was a different in the Old Testament than he was in the New Testament, that's incorrect theology, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we see God telling the nation through Micah of their sin. Our first alarm this morning is this. We see God warning the nation of Israel. Their first alarm is their idolatry. Their idolatry. Look at verse 3. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place, and we will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. Again, where the worship was, high places of the capital city of Jerusalem and Samaria, that's where they were worshipped. That's where the idols were. Verse 7, all her carved images shall be beaten to pieces, all her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols will lay waste. For from the fee of the prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. You see, God viewed idolatry as spiritual fornication against him. There's something else we need to add here as well. We can read it in Numbers 25, the Baal of Peor, the Ashtoreth rods, the poles in which they worshipped. Not just idol worship that took them away from the worship of God, but there was also immorality involved in any kind of idol worship. We must understand that okay, there is not bowing down to a graven image. There's other activity that is happening that is degrading God. See, we see here after generation, generation, time after time, Israel continues to fall into this sin of idolatry. 
The fee that's mentioned here is that there were, there were, there were the temple tax that we be paid. Can you imagine this? Paying an offering and then that offering being, being used to gra- make graven images that you worshipped? That's what, that's, what that's what God is referencing here in the text. And we may think, why, how could they do that? Why could they do that? How could they do that? Why would they do that to God? Why would they worship other gods? Well, what about us? Are there gods in our lives? Are there idols that are in our high places that we worship? Yeah, we don't bow down to graven images. But what we give in our money, what we give in our time and energy, what we show is important in our life, they become, can become idols. You think of money, materialism, jobs, family, entertainment. Have, they're, the, they're the big ones, but you can you make a longer list. But I, feel, I like for us to look at, look at this particular alarm that God has given Israel in the area of idolatry, and I don't think that we're divorced from that. Oh, that was back in the Old Testament. That doesn't happen today. Oh, really? Yeah, it does. In his book, Counterfeit God, Tim Keller uses a statement with, with, many, with, a couple other, with a couple answers to it. And I want you to, to, I want to have some fun with this this morning in our own personal lives. And I want you to see if you think you, we struggle with idolatry. He asks this question, life only has meaning or I am only worth if, I'm going to read these statements. So these statements I'm going to read, meaning if, the, if these are true, that means life only has meaning or I only have worth if these statements are true. Look, here we go. Life only has meaning, or I only have worth if I have power and influence over others. If that is true in your life, you have power idolatry. I am loved and respected if life only has meaning, and I only have worth if I am loved and respected by this person or this group of people. Guess what? You have approval idolatry. Think about that a minute in our lives. I have a certain level of wealth, financial freedom, and nice possessions. That's my worth. That's where I hang my hat. Guess what? You have materialism idolatry. Or how about this one? We all probably were there at some point in our life. Mr. and Miss Wright is the love with me. That's the love of my life. And I'm only worth something if I find that person. Well, guess what? You have relationship idolatry. Or here's one that all we may get some of us here. Our families. I'm worth only if I have a family and I have friends. Can that be idolatry in our life? Yeah. I have a particular kind of look or body image that I need to possess in order to be something. Brothers and sisters, they're forms of idolatry because we live for them. When they ask you, does that fit any of us this morning? I want want to refer back to Paul when he's talking to the Christians in Galatia. In Galatians 6.14, he says this, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Do you boast only in Jesus Christ? Is that who your worth is in? That's what it should be. These other things that I mentioned, yes, they're things part of our life, but our value and our worth is not based on the accomplishments of those activities, is it? It's based on what Jesus Christ has done for us. One person agrees with that this morning. Is the alarm of idolatry ringing in your life this morning? If it is, do something about it. Don't let those gods rule our life. We should have one God that's in in charge of our life. So let's continue on. That's our first alarm, idolatry, sin in our life. Number two, 
I'm sorry, let's go to Micah chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. We see now Micah, now after he addressed the nation, this is Micah's heart, verses 8 and 9. For this I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentations like a jackal and mourning like the ostriches. For her wound is incurable, and it has come to Judah and have reached the gates of my people to Jerusalem. Because of this punishment that God will bring to the nation, Micah is agitated to the point where he is weeping. He is, he is totally broken for the nation. We can see the area of stripping naked is a sign of mourning. We see that in 2 Samuel and Isaiah and Jeremiah. They were signs of mourning. He identified with, with a, a jackal in a desolate place, whining and crying at a night, in the nighttime. This is what he felt for the nation. Micah wept like uncontrollably. That's what the word weeping means. He was, his heart was so much broken for the nation. The nation's sins crushed him. Our second alarm this morning is this. When we're confronted with sin in our life, when we see others confronted with sin, are we broken? Are we broken? How do we respond? Micah here, he, he's, he's telling Israel, this is what's going to happen because of your sin towards God. How do we respond? Do we weep? Do we cry? Do we seek restoration? Do we help others in restoration? But are we, are, or are we quick to judge with this hands-off approach, like, yep, you deserve it. Yep, you, you made your bed, you lie in it, which yeah, I, I get what you're saying, but is that what Scripture tells us to do? Think about our nation for a minute. Have we truly wept for our nation? I'll be honest, I haven't. Should I? Yeah. See the things that are happening, and we should just be just on our knees. God, please forgive us. I love what Paul says in Galatians 6. Look at verses 1 through 3. The, the verse will be on the screen here this morning. Brothers, if any of you is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. See, this is the part of brokenness. And I think, I think in our, hopefully in our own lives, when we're confronted with something that's wrong, that we say, yeah, I'm broken, I'm sorry, I need, I need to fix it. But when things are brought up in another person or a group of people, we tend to, again, stand hands off. But as the scripture says here, when someone's overtaken, we as the body come alongside that individual and we help restore them into fellowship to God. Amen? See, we, when we're walking in the Spirit, we're led by the Spirit, we're bearing fruit, we will seek to restore those fallen ones. That word restore in the Greek is a medical term of, 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 of setting of broken bones. So many times when we understand sin is wrong. It's, and when people re, re, are restored, we want to bring them back into fellowship. Yes, there are times where people here, even at faith, have walked away from the Lord. And yes, Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians chapter 5 talk about church discipline. Yes, we have to practice that. But our, 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 our whole goal and our, our aim is that they would come back to Christ. They can be restored back into the fellowship of the body of believers. See, he also warns, Paul also warns here that we don't think ourselves as special. Uh, that will never happen to me. But it tells us in 1 Peter 5, Satan is a roaring lion. He's seeking people to devour. He's, he's got our number, doesn't he? 
we never should have that attitude. Seek to restore, help someone, be broken with them. Get on your knees and cry with them. Micah here is weeping and he, he wants the nation to turn. He, he hates what's seeing what is happening to them. So listen to that alarm of that brokenness in your life. When sin, when, when you find sin in your life, and are you broken? Are you broken with the sin of others that, that hurts you deeply, that you are so, so passionate you want to restore them to Christ? Don't let sin create a numbing effect in our life. What do I mean by that? They just kind of just brush it off, brush it off, brush it off, and then the sting is not there. And that's when the Holy Spirit just kind of like, okay, we have just ignored, 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 ignored. Don't ever let that happen. We always want to have that sting effect of sin, don't we? Let's continue on our story. That's our second alarm this morning, brokenness. We see Michael, uh, Michael 1, 10 through 16, we see him addressing another issue here. So it was idolatry to the nation. Micah 2 gives us another issue that's happening. It's the area of injustice amongst the nation. Look at verses 2, uh, chapter 2, 1 through 2. He says this, Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man in his house, a man in his inheritance. See, here's what was happening in the nation of Israel this time. They were just taking what they wanted from everyone else. They coveted it, they wanted, they grabbed. They, they, they didn't go through any kind of system to acquire anything legally. They just took what they wanted. Micah is, Micah is speaking specifically to these people that are just setting demise to friends and family, neighbors, had no regard to their fellow man. Well, look at verses 3 on. God again talks about what is coming to them. What happens at the Assyrian captivity? See, if Israel is practicing this injustice amongst their neighbors of taking things that aren't theirs and coveting and wanting and greed, what does Assyria do to the nation of Israel? They take everything. And they don't really realize what's coming down the pike, do they? But they will get what is coming to them based on what God has told them. Look at verse 9. The woman of my people you drive out of their delightful houses. From their young children you take away the spl- the, my splendor forever. Arise and go, for this is no place of rest because of the uncleanliness that destroys with a grievous destruction. They were even driving women and children out of their homes to grab their inheritance, their lands, their vineyards. You see, you see that the sad state of the nation of Israel right now? See, what they're, see where they're at? Can you imagine? The northern kingdom has reached this lowest point, and God has had enough. Our third alarm this morning is we need to die to self. The nation of Israel here, here was, they were gratifying their own desires of want and greed. I think the lesson we can take, the alarm we see here is we need to die to self. They were acting on their sinful emotions. And God is going to turn the tables on them very, very quickly. Look, look what Paul told the Christians in Rome in Romans 13, 9. He said this, For the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That was the nation of Israel following this command during this time of their history. No, they weren't. They were practicing injustice amongst the brethren. 
I think a, a good example of this we can read is 1 Kings chapter 21, good old King Ahab and his just delightful wife Jezebel. I say that facetiously, okay? She was not. What was, what's the story with, with, with King Ahab, Jezebel, and Naboth? Well, Naboth had a vineyard, and Ahab wanted it, and so there's a conversation, and then King Ahab said, Listen, I, want, I want this vineyard. Well, Jezebel said, well, go ask him for it. Well, King Ahab went to go ask Naboth for this vineyard, and he said, no, this is my inheritance. And according to Numbers chapter 36, he was in every right to keep that vineyard for inheritance. So he goes home, and he, woe is me, I didn't get the vineyard from Naboth. And Jezebel goes, what? what? What's going on with you? We'll, we'll get that vineyard. Invite Naboth. They called a fast. They invited him to a banquet, and they hired two scoundrels on either side of Naboth during this, and they made accusations that were illegal towards Naboth. They took Naboth out, and they stoned him. And guess who got the vineyard? This is the type of stuff that was happening in Israel at this time. Pretty fair, right? Wow, what wickedness. You see, we can take lessons from this. You, how, I'm not going to take things from a neighbor. Okay, I, I get you. I, I hope not. But do we still have issues with coveting and envying in our life? Sure we do. A position, a thing, a person, those desires that gratify our, our, our wicked desires, yes. When that desire comes, guess what we need to do? We need to die to self. What, what, did, what did Paul tell the church of Ephesus in Ephesians 4.22? He says this, he says, put off, that word there, put off in the Greek, means die to self, your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt. It means it destroys you, it ruins you through deceitful desires. Let me ask you a question. For those individuals that were saved out of the world, so I was saved at the age of nine, so I, I, I would call myself, I was saved from the world. You know, I wasn't in a sinful lifestyle. I wasn't, you know, drinking and drugging, all those things like probably many of us were. You were saved out of the world. Would you want to go back and practice any of those formal ways of life? Okay, one person says no. That's a good answer. Well, what's the answer? No. Why? Because that's the old nature. And Paul, Paul's saying here, listen, you put off, put, die to old self. The nation of Israel was not practicing anything of living holy and respecting one another. Brothers and sisters, we need to die to self. We covet, we, we envy, and bitterness seeps in. We, when we wake up in the morning, we got to die to self every day. Why? Because Satan wants us to want things over God, wants us to get this and, and be greedy for this. Die to self, brothers and sisters. Die to self. And as we close this morning, we get in Micah chapter 2. We see the recipients of this message, the nation of Israel. They don't want to hear this from Micah. Look at verses 5 and 6. Therefore, you will have none to cast that line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. Do not preach, thus they preach. One should not preach of things. Disgrace will not overtake us. This is coming from the nation of Israel. So listen, we don't want to hear this. We don't want this grief to overtake us. They didn't want to hear this doom and gloom that was being taught to them from the prophet Micah. Here's what they wanted to hear. Look, verse 11. If a man should go about and utter wind and lies, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, he would be the preacher of this people. What's, what's, what's Micah saying here? They didn't want to hear the bad news of their sin, of what the consequence of their sin was. They would rather listen to a false prophet that was just speaking, oh, everything's fine, just continue to party and to dance and to celebrate, you're, you're, you're fine. 
Well, Paul kind of re- reminded Timothy of thousands of years later of people like that. Look at 2 Timothy 4.3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. See, the nation of Israel here wanted someone to teach in the false prophets. They would listen to those that suit their own passions. Today we have those type of preachers today. You turn them on television, oh, everything's great. Hey, you are, you could be the best you you can be. No, that's not the Bible. Guys like Joel Osteen and Stephen Furtick, those guys that preach this prosperity that you can be the greater you, your best life now. This is not my best life now. My best life now is in heaven. Amen? This isn't our best life now. Now, if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, this is your best life. Because the life of eternity in hell, you would beg to come back to this earth. So the point here is, if you don't know Christ, trust him today. So your best life now will be in heaven with your Savior. The nation of Israel did not want to hear this message. They would rather have been puffed up and just stroked. Everything's fine. Our fourth and final, final alarm this morning, I think we need to, as we listen to an alarm, what do you do? Now, with my wife, I have to go turn the alarm off for her, but if, on a normal day, what do we do? We knock that alarm off. Some of us may throw the alarm clock across the room to shut it off. So our fourth and final alarm today is we have to take action. When alarm's going off, what do you do? You shut it up. You turn it off. And that's what we have to do here this morning. Church, we need to, when we're confronted with sin in our lives, whether it's idolatry or anything else, we need to take action on that alarm. When we, our sin is given to us and we, we're practicing sin or, and we're found out and we're confronted, we need to be broken. We need to, we need to listen to that alarm. We need to turn it off and take care of that. When we're being tempted for being covetousness and, 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 and greed and, and wanting and, and desiring what is not ours, we need to listen to that alarm and die to self. The nation of Israel was not listening. We need to take action. What does James tell us in James chapter 1, verses 22 and 24? But be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. All of us, you guys look absolutely beautiful this morning. And I would guarantee that all of you looked in the mirror. Correct? Please don't tell me you didn't. All right? Because you had to get yourself ready. For myself, I had to fix my hair up real nice. Right, Bob? Yeah? (laughs) It took a little longer than usual, right? But see, many of us look into the Word of God, and we don't put the same time and energy of fixing our spiritual life like we do our physical life. Right? You would never think about ladies walking out of the house without doing something to your hair or your makeup. We need to have that same thought and we look into God's word and we're confronted with things we need to change. We need to take action. We need to listen to that fourth alarm of taking action. Taking action and doing something about it. So brothers and sisters, as we close, do you hear the alarm of sin in your life? Things you need to take care of. For the nation of Israel is idolatry. Yes, we can look. There may be idolatry in our life. And yes, we need to, need to handle that. Are there other sins we need to handle? Is that alarm going off? We need to turn it off and do something about it. We need to listen to that alarm of, alarm of brokenness. 
When we are confronted and, and we see others maybe that are struggling, we need to be broken for them. We need to weep with them. We need to try to restore them into fellowship. That is our job, as, as Paul says in Galatians 6, restore, come alongside of them. And brothers and sisters, as we see here, we need to die to self. Die to self. And lastly, we need to take action. So what will it be? Will you turn those alarms off? Will you work on those things that we need to work on so we can better follow Christ and we don't end up like the nation of Israel here in our spiritual life where there's judgment coming, consequences coming, and we don't take heed to it. We don't listen. We don't want to be those people, do we? We don't want to be that type of person that is being taught and we're just ignoring, 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 ignoring. The alarm's going off. Pay attention. Take action. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all you've done for us. Just head bowed and eyes closed for a moment. Um, I just want to ask you some questions. If you're here today, let me ask if, someone, if someone's here today that, you know, you're here visiting and you've been visiting or, you know, just kind of, maybe you're watching us online. Um, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith and trust in Christ? These things that we're talking about may be, may, be, may be foreign to you. But you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ and he can change your life forever. If you don't have that relationship, please see myself or Pastor Frank or any person that brought you. We'd love to sit down with you and share that. For Christians that are here that have been Christians your whole life, you know, since you've trusted Christ, you've been saved since you were a kid or maybe in the early, early stage of teenage life, Sometimes we can get kind of apathetic in our Christian faith and we allow sin to creep in. Church, listen to the alarms that God is, God is, God is sets those alarms off and he uses his word, he uses people to bring to our attention. Take this week and listen for those alarms that God is, is, is ringing out in your life that we need to shut off and do something with. So take some inventory, evaluate your life this week. And if any way we can be assistance in, in those areas, please don't hesitate to call or to ask us. Father, help us this week. Help us to take inventory. Help us to evaluate. We don't want to end up like the nation of Israel, we, personally in our spiritual We don't want to end up spiritually dead like the nation of Israel was. Ring those alarms loud and clear in our life. Thank you so much for all you've done for us. And may we serve you faithfully this week in your precious name. Amen. Let's all stand up together and let's sing Hosanna. Sing praises rising. Praises rising, eyes are turning to you. We turn to you. Worthy of all our praises 